Good evening. If you want to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 20, we're going to finish up our series tonight looking at the rest of Paul's third missionary journey in Acts chapter 20 and 21. I want to just express my gratitude and how thankful that I am that uh, we've been able to be here this week and just how welcoming and loving you all are. Um, I've only heard good things too, and if Bob says that, then I assume that that's all that's been said, so um, I'm glad to hear that. Um, but no, I, I mean, really, y'all have been so kind and generous and just uh, welcoming to Liz and I, and just, we're just very thankful. Um, thankful for our good host, my mom, and uh, the fact that she was willing to house us. I didn't actually ask her if, uh, if we could stay with her. I guess I just assumed that she'd have everything ready for us, and she did, so thankful for her. And uh, just grateful for all of you for the kind words and the encouragement you've given me. Um, and just grateful that you have always shown that you love me and that you're here for me. Um, there are a lot of you that I know that I could call if I ever need anything, and if I ever need some wisdom and advice or anything like that. And so I just appreciate that a lot. Um, and I appreciate you being so loving and, and kind and generous to, to Liz and I while we've been here. Um, so in Acts chapter 20, we're going to use Acts 20 and 21 to talk about spreading God's word and disciples, uh, making more disciples. So this is going to be a lesson that is focused on, I guess, evangelism, you might say. I don't have a lot of tips or tricks when it comes to evangelism. Uh, it doesn't mean that I don't know anything, but I, I probably know just as much as you do. So that's not really the point of this lesson. Actually, the point of this lesson is more to just show that part of our responsibility as disciples is to make more disciples. So early on in this week, actually it was Sunday morning, we, we did look at Matthew 28. And this is the, what is called the Great Commission when Jesus sends out the apostles. And he says, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Some people think that that is just a limited commission that's only for them. And you can go to the end of Mark, and you can look at Mark 16 and see a comparable commission where Jesus sends out the apostles. So, and, and in that list, you see some things that do seem very limited and specific for them. So I understand why maybe we would think that it was not for the rest of the disciples that would come later, but rather just for them. But just because he was saying things specifically to those apostles and sending them out does not mean that there is also an inherent, um, I guess, application and responsibility for us as disciples to make more disciples. So as we go tonight, I, I want to go to some scriptures in a little bit that I think kind of prove that. Um, because I, I think sometimes we need that reminder and we need that convincing. And I think it's good for us to see what God has said about us and what he plans for us to be so that we can understand what we ought to be and actually be convicted of that. So that's one thing we're going to do tonight. But really what I want to do is I want to see what Paul says about himself and his work in Acts 20 and 21. As he is departing uh, from, he's already departed from Ephesus, he's gone to other places. Now he is in uh, Miletus in chapter 20, verse 17. He sends for the Ephesian elders and he invites them to come and talk with him. They, they talk for quite a while. They have a lot to talk about, it seems. And then we have some other interactions that Paul has, and he talks about his perspective of his life and his work. And I think it's just a really good example for us. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. So let's go ahead and start in Acts chapter 20, and we're going to begin in verse 17. It says, from, from, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. 
serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to stop there, and I, I want to make this point, and then kind of break down a couple of things that I see in some of these verses. So the first point that I see from from these verses is that we need to be ready and willing to teach the same message we've been taught. If we are disciples and we claim to be disciples of Jesus, that means we are learners and followers of Jesus. We talked about that Sunday, and we actually talked about it uh, a little bit throughout the week as well, but mainly Sunday we focus on that. That we are committed to learning, which means we're committed to growing in our knowledge, which means we have to understand there's more for us to learn. But also we're committed to following and sacrificing, counting the cost of being a disciple. So if we are going to claim to be disciples, where we are learning of Jesus, following him, learning of God and his word, and committing our lives to him on an ongoing basis, not just one time, but on an ongoing basis, part of that does mean we need to be ready and willing to talk about the things we are learning, talk about the things that we know are true. I actually think there's three main things that I get from these verses that is is actually really helpful. The first thing is you, you see the goal of Paul's teaching and preaching. If you look at verse 21, he says that it's testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I think a lot of times we don't know what to say. We don't know all the different doctrines and how to teach it. We let those fears and uh, unknowns of what might happen if I get in a conversation with someone about religion and about faith. And we let the fears of that and not knowing everything stop us from ever starting a conversation. There's two main goals that it seems like Paul had. When he taught people, he wanted them to come to repentance. And he wanted them to come to faith in Christ Jesus. One thing you know that you can tell everyone is that we are all sinners. And that through the blood of Jesus we are forgiven. You know what? That could lead someone to repentance. That's, that was Paul's goal. That can be our goal. We don't have to teach every single thing. We don't have to be ready for every single thing to, to talk to people about. We can know that. We can know, hey, look, I know that we're all sinners. I know that God sent Jesus Christ, his only son, to die for us. Through his bloodshed, the blood of the new covenant... We can be forgiven. Do you want to be forgiven? That can be the type of thing that we talk to people about. Or how about faith? If the goal is also faith in Jesus Christ, then we can talk to people about other things that they have faith in in this life. Like people put trust in a lot of things and have faith in a lot of things. They put faith, and we talked about this this week, that people put faith in their wealth. They put faith in their name and reputation. They, they put faith in their status. They put faith in their country and a lot of other things. Well, if our goal, if Paul's goal was to get people to have faith in Christ first, and we believe we have that because we're disciples, we can talk to other people about that. We can talk to other people about how, like almost an ecclesiastical perspective of life, how everything else falls apart. But you know what doesn't fall apart is faith in Christ. You make that your solid foundation. Then you can build a strong house on that. See, that needs to be our goal. We need to have the same attitude Paul has, in 1 Corinthians 11, in verse 1, he says that you need to be imitators of me as I am of Christ, okay? So we need to take Paul's mentality. Remember, we should be imitators of him in some ways, but also we just try to show other people, look, I'm just trying to learn and follow Christ because I believe that's how I can be forgiven. I believe that's how I can actually inherit eternal life. And if you want that for someone else, then all you have to do is talk about those things. And I know it sounds very simple, but I think that's the point. When we know the end goal 
then we don't have to get tripped up over how do we get there. We just say, okay, I at least know where I'm going. I at least know where I want the conversation to end up. That needs to be our goal as well. The same thing we see from Paul here. The second thing I think we notice is where he says he focused on teaching. He says it in, if you look down to verse 20, that he did it from in public and from house to house. All right. Well, this is a public area, so you could say, well, when we are teaching and admonishing one another, I'm doing the same thing Paul did publicly, and I think that's probably true. But I, I think there's other ways that we could probably teach publicly that, do, that doesn't involve standing on a street corner with a sign and a megaphone. Um, I have done that once, and it was, uh, it was terrifying. Um, it wasn't something that was my idea. It was someone else's idea. And in, a, in another country, they said, this is what you're going to do on Tuesday night. And I said, Oh, I, didn't, I, I don't think I'm going to do that. And, and I did it, and it worked out okay, uh, I guess. No one, no one I, I think, was listening. That's one way you could do it. You could stand on the street corner with a megaphone. There's nothing wrong with that. You know what else you can do is you can sit in a Chick-fil-A, and you can just start up a conversation with someone. I don't know why I chose Chick-fil-A, but, you know, maybe that's just on the top of my mind. You could, you could do it anywhere you are. You could strike up a conversation with someone. You know how many people are sitting there in Starbucks or other places with a Bible open? And I, I, I feel the intimidation myself when I see that. And I, and I, I don't think it's going to be like Philip in the, in the eunuch when he's like, do you know what you're reading? And they're like, how can I unless someone shows me the way? I don't know if it's going to be just like that, but we can at least say, hey, what are you reading? Not do you understand what you're reading because let me give you insight, but just do you know what you're reading? That's teaching publicly. We don't have to have a captive audience with hundreds of people reasoning in the synagogues like Paul to teach publicly. Another thing he says is house to house. One of the best places for us to start and this is convicting of, of myself. And I, I think if, if I asked for a show of hands, all of us would raise our hands that, that we are guilty sometimes of overlooking this. One of the best places we can start in our own homes. One of the best places we can start is in our own homes. Teaching and admonishing, encouraging our family. But we can also do it in other people's homes. These are, these are places that Paul did this. These are places we can do this. And it's not that scary. It seems actually a lot easier when you just think of, well... Yeah, I can do that. I do see people all the time with their Bibles open in places. I can strike up a conversation. I can start just across the dinner table with, with a loved one. The other thing that, that I see that he says in verse 20 that I think is really important is he says that he did not shrink from declaring anything that was profitable. There are sometimes we get tripped up in trying to teach and talk about unprofitable things. Um, there, there have been some times when I've been in studies with someone and I wish I had just shut my mouth and not said something about a certain subject or a certain verse or something because, man, that person just, it, their mind goes down the rabbit hole. Now, there was one study with someone, I was just trying to make a comment about John the Baptist and keep on moving, and then the rest of the study and then the next week's study was totally thrown off. They, they didn't hear a single thing I was saying. It was just like, you know, it reminds me of that John the Baptist thing. I'm like, no, we're not even talking about that. And we just need to understand that there are times where we can accidentally say things that are not profitable. Um, sometimes things that are very profitable are hard to say, though. So I'm not talking about, oh, this doesn't feel profitable because it feels uncomfortable, so I won't say it. I won't teach on that subject. I'm not saying that. I say we need to consider what is most profitable for this person that I'm talking to, for this person that I'm trying to show they need to come to repentance and faith in Christ. Those are the three things that it seems like we get from Paul. Three great examples for us. We need to make sure we're sharing profitable things, things that will truly lead someone to faith in Christ and not getting tripped up with all the details of things that sometimes they're just rabbit holes for our, our minds and their minds to go down. 
we need to be teaching public and in house to house. And it's not that scary, especially the house to house part. And our goal is repentance and faith in Christ. So we, we need to be ready to share the same message. The same message we've been taught that has brought us to the point where we are, we should be sharing that with other people. Let's continue reading. We go down to verse 22. And Paul continues and he says, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit. So now Paul is laying out his plans and what's going to happen to him. He says, Not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in, in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So Paul knows he's not going to see these people again, so this is his farewell. And so as he's saying farewell, he says something that I think is also very important for, for what we're looking at tonight as far as making other disciples. And it's here in verse 24. He says, I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord. So I'm going to, I'm going to flip that a little bit and, and not say that we should not consider our life of any value, but rather I think what we should prioritize is consider the value of other people's lives. We should consider how valuable someone else's life and their salvation is. And when we do that, that will motivate us. That will, that will, call, that will spur us on. But we also need to be committed to finishing our course. Paul had a very specific ministry. We, we know that. We know that he was going to be someone that was going to spread the gospel specifically to the Gentiles. It was a specific ministry that, that God had given him. But we have a course that we need to finish as well. We have work to do. We sing, we sing songs like that all the time. There is work that we all can do. We have a course, we have a work, we have, we have a race that we're all running, striving to finish. We're just like Paul in this. We don't know all of the negativity, the hardship. I doubt it's imprisonment. I doubt it's beatings like Paul had coming to him. But we don't know what's ahead. Just like Paul, and Paul actually did know what was ahead. And he still said, I don't, I don't count my life as anything. I wonder what allowed him to, to take on that perspective. And I think it's because he knew that, that his life was valuable to God first. And because he knew how valuable his life was to God, he then looked around him and said, well, if, if my life is valuable to God, so valuable that he would send his only son for me, that's the same for all these other people. So you, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm not going to worry about what's ahead. I'm not going to prioritize just my life and my comforts. In fact, I'm going to, I'm going to leave those. I'm going to finish my course. I want to go to two passages, and I think that these will be helpful as we think about, um, I guess, being more convicted of our, uh, our calling to, to be similar to, to Paul and others as far as making other disciples. It's going to be at 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's go to 1 Peter 1, and then we're going to look at 1 Peter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 1, I think we, we get some insight into how valuable we are and how valuable every single person is to God. So we, we look down to verse number 18. I know this is in the middle of a sentence, so you go back up to verse 17. He's, he just says, if you call on him as father who judges impartially. So he's, he's talking to people that are already Christians, and he's saying, you already call him as father. 
Look at verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. Right? You, you were not ransomed and bought with perishable things, with, with monetary things, with gold and silver. You weren't bought with that. You were in futility. You were in enmity with God. But here's what you were bought with. The precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. When we know how valuable we are to God, it causes us to be so thankful to Him for what He has given us. But the next thing it does is it allows us to understand that's how valuable everyone is to God. So you know what? I'm not going to count my life as, as worth as much as I once did. Because I realize that there's something special to share with other people. So I'll be willing to go through hardship. I'll, I'll be will, willing to go through fear and difficulty just to tell other people about the thing that I believe in. I understand that there's a lot of responsibilities that we have that cause us to sometimes not do things that other people are willing to do. I'll give you a very easy example. I am not as willing right now to put my life on the line knowing that my wife is pregnant. I have a responsibility. Some of us have responsibilities that are very, very legitimate. And then some of us are, we're just afraid. We're afraid of the what-ifs. And all we're talking about is sharing the gospel with someone. I'm not, I'm not saying we all need to pack up our bags and go to some place in, you know, I don't even know. I'm not going to name a country or continent because it might be offensive to someone, acting like it's, it's lower. But you don't have to get, you know, think of packing your bags, go to a scary place. I, I read this article about someone who he was just so convicted that he needed to spread the gospel to this one tribe, this, uh, this I don't remember what tribe it was or even what country it was or any, anything like that. But he got in a boat, had all the stuff with him, and he's, he's going to go. And they start like, throwing spears at him and everything. And, and he's like, okay, well, no, I just know I need to share the gospel. Well, that guy died. He died in that boat. And I'm not trying to talk bad about him. I'm just saying sometimes we get reckless. And sometimes we just act in fear. Let's not be reckless, but let's not act in fear. Let's not have inaction because of fear. We are valuable to God, but so is everyone else. We know that we are purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, the precious blood of Christ. We need to understand that when Jesus talks about those parables of what is lost in Luke 15... He says that the one that is lost, the one sheep, the one coin, the one son that's lost is worth going after. And we need to understand that that's how great God values every single one. Each one that is lost. And we need to share that message with people. The next thing I think we need to see is here in 1 Peter chapter 2. So that, that's how God views us. Now let's see how he views us now as disciples. You go down to verse number 9, he says, But you are a chosen race. You're not people that have stumbled over Jesus and are crushed, but you're, you're someone that actually is a disciple, a believer. Okay. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Maybe Jesus was just talking to those apostles in Matthew 28 when he said, I want you to go and make disciples. But what Peter reveals here is that if we are a part of this royal priesthood, a chosen race, a people for God's own possessions, then God has a desire from us. He has a design of what we are to be. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. Who do you think we're proclaiming that to? 
I suppose we are proclaiming that to one another. That's true. But we are people that already know how excellent he is and how wonderful he is. What God wants from us is for those of us that know how great he is to go share that with other people, how great and excellent he is. That's his design for us. His desire is that we would know how valuable we are to him, how every single one is, is valuable to him. And his design is that this discipleship, this gospel will be spread through people that believe in the gospel. And that's us. We have a ministry and service. It might not be like Paul. It might not be as specific to Gentiles or to any specific group of people, but we have a ministry and service. We're to minister and serve one another, but we're also to be God's people in a world of darkness, shining as lights in the world. We need to understand that the, since the gospel is for everyone, in some way, so is evangelism is for everyone. Let's go ahead and go, go back to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, let's continue to see what he says to these Ephesian elders. And we're going to pick up in verse 28. Acts 20, picking up in verse 28. He says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fears wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remember that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So we're primarily thinking of looking outward right now, or we have been. But now I think what Paul is saying here is that we actually need to look inward. We need to look around us. As we look outward, we need to remember that we need to teach and encourage our brothers and sisters as well. See, part of disciples making other disciples is also strengthening and fortifying the faith of current disciples. Because just like he says to these elders, there's going to be wolves that come. There's going to be people that come to try to draw away disciples after them. You're going to have people that try to draw other people to follow them and not follow the one they're following right now, which is Christ. And we need to watch out for one another in this. I'm not saying we need to be uh, policing in some sort of inappropriate way. Um, it, it's difficult because sometimes, sometimes I know that I want to kind of police what people are hearing and listening to and taking in. But I realize that that's, that's not really our jobs to do that. What our jobs is to remind each other of this is what the truth is. Because you're, you're going to hear a lot of things, but this is what the truth is, okay? So I'm going to exhort you. I'm going to admonish you. And if I hear or see something from you that, that seems to be different from the very faith that you proclaim you believe in, okay, well, we need to have a conversation. We, we, as we look outward and think about drawing the one, the lost one, to Christ, we also need to keep in mind that we're, we're responsible for one another. Because there are wolves, fierce wolves, that try to draw people away. And he actually says in verse 32, and I really like this verse, he says, I commend to you God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance. That's exactly what we need to be reminding each other of. Like, we need to look to God. We need to look to His Word. It's going to build us up, and it's going to provide us an inheritance. So as we think about teaching other people and spreading the gospel to those that are not disciples, let's not forget our current disciples, our brothers and sisters. This is something that, at times, can cause us to be too insular and too focused on ourselves but then the opposite is also true. When we focus too much on what's outside, we, we lose track of what's going on inside. We just need to have a balance here. We need to remind each other to cling to God and cling to his word. 
But what he says in verse 35 is also interesting. He says, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he himself said is more blessed to give than to receive. What Paul is saying here is that I continued to work so that it wouldn't put a stumbling block in front of some of you. So that some of you wouldn't get too distracted with the fact that I was being supplied funds by other Christians and churches. I, I decided to work. That's what it seems like he's saying in verse 34, 33 and 34. There's another really important lesson for us that, that we see right there is that we need to make sure that we are willing to sacrifice for the sake of our brethren. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is a, is a passage that I, I personally find difficult um, for a couple reasons. So you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and you pick up in the middle of verse 12. He, he's saying, I have all these rights. I have a right to be compensated for, what, for my work, is what Paul is saying. So he says halfway through verse 12, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. And he goes on to say, if you skip down to verse 19, Though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. I mean, it is really hard for us to think of sacrificing our rights, sacrificing our wants, and our freedoms for the sake of our brethren sometimes. There it is for me. Not all rights must be taken advantage of. Not all freedoms must be enacted and lived out. There's sometimes where it's a good thing for us to say, you know what, for, out of love for my brother or my sister, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do this thing. And if you think it's, well, I just want to let them know about it, well, that's going to be a difficult thing for you to do because you don't, you don't always know if they're going to see you or, or hear about you doing that thing. This is convicting for me as far as what we wear sometimes. This is convicting for me about the things that I want to watch on TV. This is convicting for me for a lot of reasons. But, but it's challenging, but that's exactly what we need to be doing. We need to be sacrificing for one another to not put a stumbling block in front of one of our brothers and sisters. I don't think we need to be paranoid or anxious about this. I don't think God would have us to, to be anxious about this. But we do need to consider how our decisions and actions might impact our brothers and sisters. They are fellow disciples just trying to learn to follow the same Christ we're learning and following. So when we can, we should do what we can to help each other's walk. And I know that's really hard. Or it's hard for me, at least. I want to go back to Acts chapter 21. So we've seen that we need to look outward and have a perspective of Paul. Think of those that are lost and draw them in to God. We've thought about how we need to make sure we don't overlook those that are believers and are Christians and current disciples. But now I want to skip to chapter 21. All right, just to set the stage a little bit, Paul continues his travels. He goes to Jerusalem, and there's a problem. The same people that are always making accusations against him and saying he's done wrong, he's sinned, and he's all these things, they, they, they follow him. And so now he has to be asked to do something that's actually difficult, or it seems difficult to me. So let's pick up in, in uh, Acts 21. Let's go down to verse number 17. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. 
When they heard it, they glorified God. They said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. They have been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their, their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took all the men and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. This last point is a very difficult one as well. The, the, the one we just talked about is, is hard sometimes to consider not putting a stumbling block in front of my brother or sister. That's difficult and challenging, but this next one actually, actually is really hard, I think, as well. Is that, that's that nothing is important enough to get in the way of the gospel. Nothing is important enough for me to uh, say, no, this is my right, this is, you're wrong, you're, you're mistaken, and I'm not going to do what you ask. Nothing is more important than just the gospel. Nothing is more important, nothing is important enough to get in the way of the gospel. What Paul is asked to do here sounds silly to me. He hasn't done anything wrong. He hasn't been telling people that they're sinning for circumcising. He hasn't been telling people Moses was a fool and you shouldn't listen to what he says. All Paul has been going around saying is that, guess what? You've heard of the Messiah that was to come? Well, he came. His name was Jesus Christ. And he died for our sins. And oh, by the way, it wasn't just for the sins of the Jews. It's for all people. No, Gentiles, you don't have to become a Jew to now come close to God. Now you just have to go through Jesus. That's what Paul is saying, essentially. But people have claimed that he's saying other things. So they ask him, all right, take these four guys that are under a vow. Go and pay for their expenses so they can be purified and then have their heads shaved and you purify yourself as well that way everyone will know that these things aren't true and if I was Paul I would be saying no just tell those people that they're wrong <laughs> they're mistaken these people are lying about me I, 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 why should I have to do that well that's why Paul is just a great example for us because he doesn't let his personal liberties get in the way of the gospel he doesn't let his own feelings and own perspectives get in the way of gospel. He just says, okay. And he goes and does it. Now, I don't know exactly the response that it has, because the next thing that happens is that he's arrested. So it doesn't seem like it actually benefits the spread of the gospel where Paul is able to keep going and, and doing what he wants to do. But the lesson is you do the right thing, because it's just right. You don't get in the way of the gospel. Nothing is important enough to get in the way of the gospel of Jesus. What if someone had put a stumbling block in front of you? What if someone had made it difficult for you to believe in the gospel? Would you still be here? Would you have ever pushed on even though some people made it very difficult for you? What if you had a certain perspective of something and someone just like really made it difficult for you to ever believe that, that you could be forgiven, that you could come to repentance? Well, we need to have the same perspective on other people. 
My own personal opinions and my own discretion is not more important than the gospel. My rights and freedoms aren't worth holding on to if it means putting up a hindrance for the gospel. So we need to let them go when needed. Or at least we need to let them not be a stumbling block. Our reputation, our pride, whatever else seems to matter the most to us, it doesn't need to matter at all compared to the gospel. Paul is willing to do something that he really doesn't have to do because he hasn't done the things that they've said he was doing. But he's willing to do it because that's how much he cares about the gospel. That's how much he cares about other people coming to believe in Jesus Christ. You know, the interesting thing about it is that this sometimes is a matter of wisdom and discretion. Um, Because if you think about what happens with Timothy and with Titus, he gets Timothy to be circumcised because it, it just made sense. Timothy's mother and grandmother were Jews, but his father was a Greek, and so he was not circumcised. So Paul actually gets him to be circumcised in Acts 16. Timothy was a lot older than eight days old. The time had really already passed for him to go through that process the way it usually would happen, but, but he does it anyway. But with Titus, he doesn't get him to do that because it didn't make sense for Titus because Titus wasn't a Jew, had no ties to Judaism. So we do need to use discretion. We need to use wisdom. And I'll tell you who I think you need to lean into to, to ask for help in that is your elders. I mean, if you think about who's giving Paul the advice here, it's James, and it seems like these, these other elders in Jerusalem. I wish we had elders at the congregation where, where I am, where I could just say, hey, help me understand. Help me understand what, what I need to do and, and what we need to do. Lean into your elders. Ask for that advice. Ask for that help. We truly do need to lean into our shepherds because all they're trying to do is guide us behind the chief shepherd, Christ. So this is hard. This is difficult for me, but we know it's true. Nothing is more important. Nothing is important. I keep saying it wrong. Nothing is important enough to get in the way of the gospel. So if you have any ability to remove something from someone's path, then do that. I want to conclude by going to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5 is where Paul is talking about his ministry and and the other co-workers that he has with him and their their ministry and their work and his perspective on it. And I think that what he has to say here in 2 Corinthians 5 is just really encouraging as we conclude tonight. 2 Corinthians 5, we're going to begin in verse 16. From now on, therefore... We regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Though it has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Where it says that he's making his appeal uh, to the world, that God is making his appeal to the world through Christ, that the world might be reconciled to God, the other word for that is that is begging. And I, that sounds strange to say God is begging, but that's another translation of that word. That through Christ, God is just pleading with the world to come to him, to be reconciled to him. And what Paul says about himself and these other co-workers is that 
We are people that have been reconciled to God, and so now God is working through us to reconcile others to him. For we are ambassadors of God. We are ambassadors of Christ. God is making his appeal through us. Brother, that's us. I know that we're not Paul. I know we're not on a missionary journey, but we are people that have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And we ought to live that out in a way where other people can see that's what it looks like to be right with God. And we need to be people that exemplify what it means to be a disciple. So that as other people see us, they might glorify God. So as other people see us, they might see that's what it looks like to live a life of faith and repentance. That's what it looks like to humbly follow Jesus Christ. That's what it looks like to have your hope set in heaven. That's what it looks like to be pursuing your goal, the crown of life. That's exactly what we're supposed to be. We are supposed to be what Paul details here. So I'll, I'll ask you a couple questions as, as we wrap up. Are you living out God's design for you to be an ambassador of Christ? Are you so dedicated in your walk in being a disciple that you want other people to become disciples as well? And if not, then I hope that you're encouraged to do that after looking at the example of Paul and what he says. But the second question that, that I have for you is, have you been reconciled to God? Are you right with God? We're about to sing a song that says, Have thy own way, Lord. I don't remember which verse it is, but in the song it says something to the effect of, Whiter than snow, Lord, wash me just now. I think it says, as in thy presence, humbly I bow. If you are not reconciled to God and you need to be washed clean of your sins, then we want to help you with that. We want to be ambassadors of Christ to call you to be reconciled to God. God is pleading, and so we would plead with you. If you have some need of repentance or baptism, or if you need to confess some sins, won't you come as we stand and as we sing?